Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Today we're going to finish our series, Don't Take the Bait. Um, You know, this series has been about how the devil wants to trap us when we entertain an offense toward God or other people. And sometimes people are offended toward God, sometimes people are offended at other people. But what I want to say in this series, and this is the last message of it, we don't have to take that bait. And today I'm going to talk about how uh, when you come to the cross of Jesus Christ, walls become bridges. We've talked, uh, um, we've had two messages in this series. The first one was about what happens when you're offended at God. Last week we talked about what happens when you're offended at other people. And today I want to assume that whether you've been offended before or, or not, or maybe you've been offended and you're holding on to it, we've all been there at some point. What happens when you come to the cross? Okay, because when you come to the cross, Walls become bridges. Now, I was thinking about examples of offenses in the Bible. And the first one, I didn't have to go very far. If you go back to the very first family, you know, Adam and Eve had two boys, Cain and Abel. And they they both brought an offering to the Lord, right? And Cain's offering did not please God. Abel's offering did. Now, you would think that Cain would be upset with God because God did not accept his offering. But instead, he took it out on his brother. He was jealous that his brother's offering did please God. And instead of getting right with God, he took it out on his brother and he killed his brother out in the field. Then there's another story of brothers, Jacob and Esau. Jacob went on to be renamed Israel. Uh, But Jacob and Esau um, were two brothers and... um, Jacob did some things that were not very becoming or flattering of himself. He, he, um, he took his brother's birthright and his blessing. Of course, Esau didn't handle that well either. He gave up his birthright for a, a bowl of soup, if you will. And uh, Esau ultimately wanted to kill his brother Jacob because there was an offense there. And then I'm reminded of Joseph's brothers. I don't know why this is all brothers. I was in Genesis for a while, but uh, when you think about it, Joseph was his father's favorite son, and yet his brothers hated him because of it, and so they sold him into slavery and faked his death, all because they were offended. And then, of course, there's uh, later on in the Old Testament, David had a bunch of boys, and one of them was Absalom. And when Absalom found out that one of his other brothers had raped his sister. Obviously, that's wrong. He stewed on it for two years, and then he methodically ordered the the murder of his brother, uh, all because of an offense. Now, why am I sharing all this? Because here's the thing. When you and I become offended, it doesn't remain static, okay? You You don't just say, well, I'm offended, and I move on. Uh, that begins to fester in your life. It begins to develop into bitterness in your life, and it produces other things. It doesn't remain static. And when you are offended, you're capable of doing a lot of things. But let's kind of reel that in for a little bit, and let's look at why is it so hard to reach someone that's been offended. And there's a proverb, Proverbs 18, verse 19. An offended brother is harder to reach than a fortified city, and quarrels are like the bar's of a fortress. 
Now that's King Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived. And basically that's his way of saying when you offend someone, the walls go up. Have you ever been talking to someone and all of a sudden the walls go up? And so you may, I'm not saying you do, but you may have an offended person um, on your list. You've got to find out why. There's a story that's told years ago between two brothers that lived on adjoining farms. They uh, shared everything together. They shared tools and tractors and, and, and worked together quite well. But then one year after 40 years, it all began to fall apart. A small misunderstanding grew into a major di difference that finally exploded into an exchange of bitter words, followed by weeks of silence. One morning, there was a knock on the door. Um, this man had a toolbox, and he said, Hey, I'm a carpenter. I'm looking for some work. Do you have anything that you need me to do? And this was the older brother's house. His name was John, and he said, Yeah. He says, As a matter of fact, I do. He says, you see that creek across the farm? He says, that's my neighbor. He says, in fact, it's my younger brother. And last week, there was a meadow between us, but he took his bulldozer to the river levee, and now there's a creek between us. He says, he may have done this despite me, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the lumber behind the barn, and I want you to build a tall eight-foot fence so that when I walk out, I don't have to look at that creek. And so the... Uh, Carpenter said, well, yes, sir, I'll, I'll, I'll get right on it. And so the, uh, the farmer, John, he went off to town. He had errands to do. He had supplies to buy. He had some things to take and get repaired. And the whole day went by. And when he came back, to his surprise, his eyes get big, his jaw, his jaw drops. He's not seeing a wall. He's seeing a bridge. It's a gorgeous bridge. It spans the entire uh, width of the creek from his side to his brother's sides. It even has handrails. And about the time he looks up, here comes his younger brother, and he's got open arms, and they hug, and they, they uh, patch things up. And um, finally, they look at the guy and say, man, this is a surprise, but I'm, you know, you did wonderful work. Can you stick around and do some more work for us? And he says, I'd love to, but I got some more bridges to build. And you know, that's a neat story, but here's the thing. When you and I are offended, we need to build bridges, not walls. And here's what I want to tell you today. When you read the scripture, when you look at Jesus, Jesus is our bridge builder, okay? Um, here, here's two things that happen uh, as a result of the cross and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. In Matthew 27, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 27, verse 50, it says, But Jesus cried out again, with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. In other words, that's the moment that he died on the cross. We know from other accounts that he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, and he breathed this last, and he died. Okay, So we're talking about that, that moment that he prayed and gave his last breath. Okay, The moment Jesus died on the cross, he cried uh, uh, again out, 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 out loud with a loud voice, gave up his spirit, and then it says in verse 51, suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. Okay, so let's reverse engineer this verse. Okay, so you had an earthquake and the rocks split. Who does that? Not man. God, right? 
now you have a curtain. And not just any curtain, it's a very thick curtain that existed in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And the moment Jesus dies, that curtain is torn in two. From where? The top. That's not something man did. That's something God did. And that's the point. See, when Jesus died on that cross, His blood purchases our salvation And now He's made a new and living way into the presence of God. We now have direct access to the Father through the blood of Jesus. And so that is awesome. Jesus just built a bridge for us to cross to the Father. But not only that, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul the Apostle, he's talking about um, the gospel. He's talking about how God wants to save Jews and Gentiles. And then he says this statement in Ephesians 2.13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Now, what is Paul talking about? There were different areas of the temple. There was a court of the Gentiles. It was the outermost court. You could say the Gentiles could actually come to the premises. But once they got there in that outer court, they couldn't go any further. And so there was this dividing wall, as Paul describes it, that separated the Gentiles from the Jews when they came to the temple. And Paul is saying now, because of the blood of Jesus... He has tore down that dividing wall of hostility. That now a Gentile and a Jew can be one in Jesus and through Jesus. Boy, that's good, isn't it? So when you look at it here, we're seeing that Jesus is a bridge builder. He is a bridge between us and the Father. And He's a bridge between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why Paul could go on to say in Galatians 3.28... There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, he's not saying those things don't matter. What he's saying is we are one in Christ regardless of our differences, regardless of our station in life, regardless of where we came from. We are all one in Christ. There is a unity that we have with each other through Jesus, and because of Jesus. And so Jesus is our bridge builder. Now, let's be honest. When we think about this idea of offense, when we think about being offended, when we think about walls in our life, let's go to a a tough text of Scripture that Jesus teaches that tells us a lot about this subject. It's found in Luke 17. There's a few things I just want to point out about this passage as we get into it. But look, if you will, in Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, Offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Jesus is saying that 
people will be offended and there will be offenses that come. It just, it happens. If you live long enough, you're going to see people offended. And he says, it will come, but woe to those through whom it comes. It's better for a millstone hung around their neck and thrown into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And he's talking about, you know, uh, new believers, young believers to stumble. So he says, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, that's a lot of times in a day. That's, that's more times than I eat, right? Now, don't anybody tell on yourself. I like three good meals, maybe a snack or two, but my goodness, seven times in a day, right? That's what it says. If he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And let that sink in for a minute. As we read that, you go, whoa, wait a minute. Okay, so offenses are going to come, yeah. And when they come, be on your guard, okay. And if your brother sins, rebuke him, yeah. If he repents, forgive him, okay. If he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back each time saying, I repent, you must forgive him. What? That's what we think, right? And in case you're going, did I hear Jesus say that? Look at the very next verse. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. That means they heard him. They, they, they heard Jesus say, if your brother sins against you seven times in a day and they come back seven times and say, I repent, you must forgive them. And they go, Lord, Lord, increase my faith. I'm up to about three. I don't know about seven, right? If we're being honest, that's probably what they're thinking. So they're like, Lord, increase our faith. And then he talks about faith. He says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, which is very small, by the way, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the seed, and it will obey you. Which one of you having a servant tending sheep or, or plowing will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? Instead, will you not tell him, prepare something for me to eat, get ready, and serve me while I eat and drink, and later you can eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did what was commanded? In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we're worthless servants. We've only done our duty. Most of the times when we read this passage, we just don't catch what Jesus said. Okay, He's saying offenses will come. Be on guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Okay, if he um, if he um, repent, if he sins, or excuse me, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Okay, and if he sins against you seven times in a day, and each time comes back and says, "I repent," you must forgive him. And they go, "Oh Lord, increase my faith." In other words, I I don't think I can do that. I, I don't think I'm there yet. I don't even think I'm even close. Right, and then. He says, your faith is like a mustard seed, okay? It starts simple. It starts small, okay? And if you have faith that is just simple and small like a mustard seed, you can do this. You can say to this tree, be uprooted and planted in the seed, and it will, ha it will happen. It will obey you. And then he pivots there in verse 7 and says, you know, do you have a servant plowing in the field or tending sheep? And when he comes in... Don't you say come at once? Or do, do you say come at once and sit down to eat? No. He's a servant. 
And, and as a servant, what is he supposed to do? He's supposed to wait on the master first, and then he serves himself. And that's what he's saying here. He says, instead, you don't say, come and sit down and eat. You say, prepare me something to eat. You get ready and serve me while I eat and drink, and then later you eat and drink. And then does the master thank the servant because he did what was commanded? No. He says, in the same way, when you've done all that you were commanded, you should say, we're worthless servants. We've only done our duty. What does that mean? I think in context, it means this. We look at what the Lord says and we go, okay, brother sins, rebuke him. I can do that. If my brother sins, I, I forgive him. Okay, I can do that. But if he sins seven times in a day and he says seven times, I repent, I'm supposed to forgive him. I don't think I can do that. Lord, increase my faith. And he says, all you need is a little faith. All you need is a little faith. And then once you use the faith you have, it grows and it gets bigger and it gets stronger. And then he talks about the servant. And he says, look, when a servant has done his duty, he doesn't brag about it. He doesn't say, look what I did. He just says, I did what I was supposed to do. And Jesus is saying this in light of forgiveness. Because we like to go, well, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And Jesus says, so what? You did your duty. You're supposed to forgive your brother once? Big deal. You're supposed to forgive your brother seven times in a day? Big deal. You want to star for that? Right? Okay? I mean, seriously. I mean, Jesus is talking to the ego. And he's saying, look, if you're my servant, you're going to do what I tell you to do. And at the end of the day, you go... I've done my duty. That's it. And, and, and that hits us in a soft spot, and we go, whoa, I, I, I don't know. It, it's kind of like this. Let me, let me put it in this vernacular. There was, a, um, there was a guy in a previous church I served years ago in Tennessee. He, he was a, an alcoholic that, that came to Christ, and uh, he was uh, very bullheaded. And whenever he got saved, he was still bullheaded. And uh, he would come when he didn't know what he should do, when he had a burning question that he didn't know the answer to. He would go to, to, uh, he would go to you know, somebody in the church and ask them, hey, what do you think? And then if he didn't like what they said, he would go over here and say, hey, hey what do you think? And he, he, would kept go he kept going around until he finally, hopefully, possibly found somebody that might agree with him and goes, that's it, I'm good now. Okay, that's what he did. And... Uh, I can still remember that. And whenever I talked to him one day, he said, Brother Corey, I'm just not a super Christian like you are. Whoa, big time out. Let me throw the flag on the field. I'm not a super Christian, okay? Nobody's a super Christian. The only person that's ever lived the Christian life is who? Jesus Christ, okay? And Jesus knows that I need him. He knows that you need him. That's why when he died to save us, he says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send another, and that is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will be with you and in you forever. I need him. You need him. We all need him. There are no super Christians. There's only Christians who trust and obey Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, no matter how hard it is to obey his commands, we can only say we're worthless servants. We've done our duty. Think about that. Well, let's go to a uh, passage uh, in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Because when we come to the cross, walls become bridges. 
And in order to get there, I want us to look at one last passage that I think is very instructive for us whenever we wrestle with being offended or lack of forgiveness or so on. So look, if you will, in Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read this first and then we'll look at it. In Ephesians 4, 26, Paul says, Be angry and do not sin. Okay? It's possible to be angry and not sin. Okay? That is possible. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity or a foothold. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he's to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what's good for building up someone in need so it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Now, here's what I want you to see here. Is in verse 27, he says, don't give the devil an opportunity or a foothold. And then, one, two, three more verses later in verse 30, and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. And this is in the same passage. And so it got me to thinking, what does it look like when we give the devil a foothold and we grieve the Holy Spirit? In other words, that's, that's a danger that we need to be aware of. That's something that we need to have our guard up. Offenses will come, Jesus said, but be on your guard, right? We need to be on our guard. When you and I get our feathers ruffled, when you and I get upset, when you and I get... Uh, offended or hurt or angry or whatever, we have to be on guard, okay? We have to be on guard. Why? Because if we're not careful, we will let this experience lead to the devil having an opportunity to have a foothold in our life. And once the devil has a foothold in our life, then we're going to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It's just all downhill from there. And we've seen it in others, but do we see the danger in ourselves? So what does it look like to give the devil a foothold and to grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, I want to zero in on verse 31. He says right there in Ephesians 4, 31, he says, Let all bitterness, anger and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. I believe that when God begins to search our heart and He does spiritual surgery in us, if we have not been on guard, if we become offended, angry, hurt, or upset, and we don't deal with it constructively, we don't deal with it biblically, then we are in danger of this right here. What does it look like? Look at the first word, bitterness. Bitterness happens when we're wounded and we feel wronged and left unchecked, we become bitter. I've seen this through the years. People become bitter because somewhere back there they got hurt and wounded and they never dealt with the pain. They never dealt with the problem and it festered and it festered and it festered and it festered. And now they walk around in life and when they get wounded now, it hurts so bad because it hits that old wound that never heals. And instead of acting like this, 
what do you mean they overreact, you know? And so that is something that you got to look out for when it comes to bitterness. Now, it's interesting as I was studying this, depending on the translations you use, some use anger and wrath, and some use wrath and anger. The, the wording, I mean, the order is a little bit different there, but I'm going to look at wrath and then anger. When you look at wrath, that's when you begin to burn on the inside. It's internal heat that leads to a slow burn underneath the surface. And then anger is the, is the, um, the outward expression of that. It's, anger is when the slow burn bursts into flames and you see anger. You don't always see wrath. It's burning under the skin. But anger, oh yeah, you see it. It manifests itself. It expresses itself. And once anger expresses itself, well, it just takes a second to go from zero to 60, right? And that leads to shouting. There it is. Shouting and slander be removed from you. You know what shouting is? You become verbal and you become loud. And then slander is attacking the other person. And then it says, putting all this aside, let bitterness, anger, and wrath Shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. So when someone is bitter, they're bitter, they're burning inside, they explode in anger, they shout, they attack you, they slander, and he says, get rid of all that, including malice. Now, what is malice? Malice is the desire to hurt someone. It's when you have ill will towards someone else. That is malice. And so Jesus is saying, if you are going to uh, remove the foothold of the devil in your life, if you're going to make sure that you don't do anything to, to grieve the Holy Spirit of God, then you've got to pull this thing up by the roots, the bitterness, the, the wrath, the anger, the shouting, the slander, and even the desire to wish ill will on someone, malice. And then he says, when you do that, when you get rid of that, he says in verse 32, and here's the positive part, the constructive part, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. We know what kindness is. We know what compassion is. And we know what forgiving someone is. We just don't like it. We don't feel like it. And so he gives the reason you do that because God forgave you in Christ. I don't care who you are, you can't get away from that verse, can you? When it comes down to why should you forgive someone? You know, that's a pertinent question. And if you talk to someone, you know, they might go, well, and you can talk all around it. But why do you forgive other people? Because God in Christ forgave you. Pretty plain, pretty powerful. And so that is what he tells us to do. You see, here we have the issue of a, of a, of a foothold. Now, I, I climbed a, a cliff uh, when I was in college with a group. We went one weekend and we, we, we climbed a cliff about 80 foot high. And I learned something. I don't claim to be a mountain climber at all. But when you're on the, the, the side of this mountain and this rock, and you've got all the equipment on, you've got people below you and people above you, and they're cheering you on, and you're, you're, you're climbing that thing. And I don't, I don't mean one of those little rock climbing walls that, that's all nice and neat in a, 
in a play area. I'm talking about the real thing. And you get out there and you're on that rock and you realize, I'm like a fly on the wall and I hope I don't fall, right? And, and you realize very quickly, all you need is just a, a little spot to grab a hold of. Just a, a little ledge that sticks out just, just a half inch or so to put your toe on to push up. You just, you just need a little bit of ground, just a little spot to leverage and keep moving forward. And can I tell you, it's the same way with the devil. The devil, when he comes after you, he says, I just need a little chink in your armor. I just need a, 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 a little place in your life where you will let me do what I want. And then he gains a foothold. And once he uh, gains a foothold, he will, he will mess up and wreak havoc in your life and it will grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And you and I don't need for that to happen. What is the way out? The way out is repentance. I read a great quote this week from Adrian Rogers. He says, repentance is not just being broken over your sin, but it's being broken from your sin. And that's so true. That's what repentance is. We're, we're broken over our sin. Oh man, this is wrong and I shouldn't have done it and I'm sorry. But not only am I broken over my sin, I break from my sin. I'm not going to do that anymore. And that's what repentance is. Let me illustrate this, uh, this for, for a moment. During World War II, Corey Tim Boone and her family uh, hid Jews in their home to protest against the Nazis. And one day they were discovered and everyone in her family was put in a concentration camp. Corey barely su survived the war, but her family perished in the concentration camp. After the war, she traveled throughout Europe and Germany, sharing her faith in Christ. One day in 1947, she was speaking on forgiveness in a church in Munich when a bald man in a gray overcoat approached her. And upon, upon recognizing him, her heart froze because she remembered who he was. She recognized him. He had been a guard in the concentration camps that had tortured her family. And as he began to walk in her direction, he extended his hands and he said how much he appreciated what she shared. And she heard him say these words, You don't know me, but I've committed some serious crimes while working in the concentration camps. And although I've asked God for forgiveness this morning, I still feel guilty. And I wanted to ask you for forgiveness. And I wanted to know if you will forgive me too. Here's what Corey Tim Boone said in her book. These are her words. She said, I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours. And I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that it was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with this coldness clutching my hand, and so mechanically I thrust my hand into the one handed out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang out into my joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long time, we hugged the former guard and the former prisoner. I've never known God's love so intensely as I did that. There's something about 
forgiveness. It's given because it's granted. When God grants you forgiveness, you have to give it to others. Otherwise, you don't understand a thing about forgiveness. That's why Jesus said, if you don't forgive you know, someone against you, then I won't forgive you either. Now, that's a tough bar, but that's the truth, and that's what Jesus said. And so today, as we wind up this message and this series, and as we look to the Lord's Supper this morning, before we go into invitation, I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. The first one is this. I want to encourage you to make this your prayer for the next few moments. It's found in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. It's a Psalm of David, and here's what David prayed. He said, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. You know, sometimes we need a spiritual checkup, right? And this is one way to do it. We seek God and say, Lord, search me. Lord, you know everything about me. You know everything that's on my mind and in my heart. See if there's anything that's offensive and lead me in the everlasting way. Lead me in the right path. Lord, is there anything offensive in my life that I need to deal with? If it is, he'll show you. And then that's between you and him. He'll tell you what to do and how to do it. That's the vertical. What about the horizontal? I love this. Hebrews 12. The Hebrew author is writing to the Jews and he's talking about Jesus is greater than anything else. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our high priest. He's the one that built the bridge, right? For us to come to God. He tore that curtain in two and he made a new and living way by his own flesh and by his own blood, by his sacrificial death, we now can come to the Father. And as you get to the end of Hebrews, the writer is saying, now when God gave the old covenant, <laughs> he knew how to introduce it right. But we're not at Mount Sinai anymore. We're at a new mountain. We're at Mount Zion. And he says, listen to this. This is the way it's been inaugurated, this new covenant that Jesus ushers in. In Hebrews 12, 22, Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. Now I want you to get this. We're fixing here in a few moments. We'll, we'll have our invitation and we'll do the Lord's Supper. But don't miss this. If you don't, miss, if, you don't, if you don't catch anything else I've said today, what I'm about to say, don't miss this. Okay? The Hebrew author is saying, when God gave the old covenant on Mount Sinai, this is how it all went down. He says, now this is an even better, more awesome covenant. It's the new covenant ratified in the blood of Jesus. And we've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And he says this Jesus is a mediator of a new covenant and his blood says something better than the blood of Abel. You remember how I started out this morning with 
examples of people being offended in the Bible, and the very first one was Cain who killed his brother Abel. Remember, Cain didn't offer the sacrifice that pleased God, and Abel did. And instead of Cain going to God and dealing with his issues with God, he took it out on his brother, invited his brother out into a field, and he killed him. And here's the rest of that story. In Genesis 4, 9, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian or am I my brother's keeper? And then the Lord said to Cain, What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The very first blood that was ever shed was Abel, who was murdered in cold blood by his brother. And God says that Abel's blood cried out from the ground. You know what it cried out for? Justice. Justice. This isn't right, God. This isn't fair. I did what pleases you, and I love my brother, and now I'm dead. This isn't right. It's not fair. God, I want justice. And then Hebrews says, here comes Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant with sprinkled blood that says better things than the blood of Abel. Does that mean that the blood of Jesus says something too? Oh, yeah. In one word, mercy. That's right, mercy. Think about it. Because of Jesus dying on that cross and shedding his blood, he said, Father, I forgive them. Or, you know, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he says, it's finished. And then he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he died. And the blood of Jesus says better things than the blood of Abel. Whereas the blood of Abel says, I want justice. Jesus says, I'm willing to give mercy. And that's what we're celebrating here. That's what we're remembering here, is that Jesus is our bridge builder. And He has built the bridge between us and the Father. And He's built that bridge that unites us with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And He paid it all. He gave Himself, he sacrificed his own life and shed his own blood. And so for that, I want you to prepare for the Lord's Supper and the invitation. Let's all stand, musicians, if you would come. We're going to go into an invitation uh, first, and then we will go into everything after that, and let's pray. Father, I come before you. Lord, I just pray right now, Father, that you would prepare our hearts, Lord, to be right with you, to remember you, and to rejoice at the hope that we have all because of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As the musicians play softly, as the ushers uh, collect things, if you want to turn anything in, you can. God is calling us to respond. I'll keep preaching that. We've sought Him through prayer and worship. We've heard from God through the Word. Maybe God's speaking to you this morning through the Word of God. And now He's calling us to respond to Him. Whether it's to give to the Lord, whether it's to pray, whether it's to make a decision and make that next step in your walk with Christ. Maybe it's to get your mind and heart ready for the Lord's Supper here in just a few moments. Whatever it is, God is calling you to respond. For far too long, we've been hearers of the word.
but not doers. And when you hear the Word of God and you don't do it, the Bible says you walk out that door and you forget what you look like, you forget what you heard, and nothing happens. No change. So as your pastor, I love you. I'm praying for you, and I pray that you'll respond to God this morning however how He wants you to respond. Here in a moment, we're going to sing. And during this time, if you need to pray, the altars are open. If you need to make a decision in your heart, I pray that you will. If you've never received Christ, I pray that you'll realize that the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for you and me. It was shed for all of us. And because of the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, you and I can come to the foot of the cross and we can receive mercy. We can receive forgiveness. And the walls that we had built up in our life between us and God, between us and other people, those walls come down and now there's a bridge. And it's all possible because of Jesus. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you've never uh, asked the Lord to come in your life and save you, you can right now. Just cry out to Him and say, Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I need you and I'm asking you to come into my life and save me and I want to trust and follow you the rest of my days. Now, there's nothing um, magical or mechanical in that prayer. You can't just say that prayer as empty words and go, okay, I did it, okay? I'm just giving you an example. I'm giving you ex uh, an example to, to use, to follow. But you cry out to God and you ask Him to come in your life and save you. And you know what? He will. And then when he does, you need to tell somebody, okay? You need to get baptized. Baptism is our public statement of faith. And take that first step of obedience and do what he's called you to do. But whatever it is that God is calling you to do right now, as we sing, I pray that you'll get things right between you and God and you and others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact a pastor, please visit phbcsomerset.com.